0: I mean, let there be a thousand blossoms blooming as far as i But I ain't spending any time on it. It is feared that the Prime Minister has gone. Fair shake of the saucepan. Well, again, uh, fair shake of the saucepan. I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up day is a mug. <laughs>
1: G'day everyone and welcome to Cooked, a per capita podcast where we look at some of the weird, wonderful and absolutely batshit wild things that have happened in Australia's history. My name is Shirley Jackson and I'm a political economist and the director of the Centre for New Industry here at Per Capita Uh, and I'm joined by one of our research economists, Sam Ibrahim. How you doing, Sam? Good. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, really, really good today. Uh, And of course, this couldn't be done without Per Capita's producer and audio guru, Rebecca Connell. Bex, how are you going?
0: I'm good, thanks. Yeah,
1: fantastic. So the idea behind this podcast is that we thought we'd take a look at some of the really crazy and hectic things that have happened in Australia's history because, you know, sometimes we're just such a cooked country. So my first question to both of you is what are some of your favourite topics that you're looking to cover in this podcast?
2: I can't wait to talk about how we just lost the Prime Minister (laughs) and just totally chill about it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And then named a swimming pool after him, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. What about you, Bex?
0: There are so many, like especially in recent history, there's some really amazing stuff that's happened that I think people have just sort of forgotten that I want to remind them about. So
1: We love that. Well, um, today I thought I'd start us off with a totally wild thing that happened really early in Australia's history, and it's concerning our second Prime Minister, the Honourable Alfred Deakin. What do you all know about Alfred Deakin? That he was the second Prime Minister. <laughs> is Deakin
0: University named after him? Deakin
1: University is indeed named after him. And Good Anything job. else you know about, like, his life or... Um, no, that, that not, was a line.
0: Yeah, no. I it, didn't know he was a Prime Minister
1: either. So. Yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. He was our second Prime Minister. Um, now... There's a bunch of the usual things that I could tell you about him, like he was a leading figure in the campaign for federation, or that he was a friend of our first Prime Minister, Edmund Barton, which led to him being our first Attorney General. Uh, he was also, as I mentioned earlier, our second Prime Minister, although he had a really interesting career in that he had led the country for three non-consecutive terms, which was a real product of those wild elections that we had at the time. Like, I always think about, like, the early part of the colony as being, like, just a bunch of rich old white dudes being like, oh, no, after you, sir. Oh, no, my good dear fellow. No, of course, you you first. And they just sort of rotate around through a bunch of those, like, early figures of federation.
2: Yeah, like Ring Around the rosy, but oh.
1: the prime ministership. 100%, yeah, that's right. Um, uh, we could dig a little deeper and I could tell you about his legal studies or about how he became central to that push for federation and a key contributor to the Constitution, as you'd imagine, as the first Attorney General. I could even tell you some lesser known facts about like, how he um, was a vegetarian for a while. He, uh, he, he wrote poetry and he clearly had the best facial hair of any Prime Minister, but I don't just want to paint a picture of Deakin as the 19th century hipster soft boy that he was. Uh, no, I'm going to tell you a lot about today, which is my favourite aspect of his life, which lives absolutely rent-free in my head and, in my opinion, should be part of the national curriculum. Today, we're going to be talking about his secret history in the occult and his belief in his ability to contact spirits who guide him in his daily life. Y'all can't see, but they have the biggest stunned mullet faces. I've been I keeping this one a secret, so... <laughs> We reactions got, we got
0: like this Alistair Crowley wannabe in, in Australian
1: history 100% Deacon was our first and as far as I know only full-blown lizard brain occultist prime minister which arguably makes him the best That's right. amazing. He's Australia's sorcerer supreme.
2: I'm sending this episode to all of my friends who do like solstice seances. And just, (laughs) this is so great that we had a witch prime minister.
1: Absolutely. So um, his brand of occult thought and esoterica came in the form of his ardent belief in spiritualism and also theosophy. So, Deacon was a deeply spiritual man, and unlike many in the Australian mainstream, he was incredibly open-minded to a range of beliefs that led him down a pathway through mysticism, New Age philosophy, and the occult. But that centred on a really very real and tangible connection that he believed he had to the spirit realm. So today, this is the story of the young Deacon's life as a mystic and spiritual medium. The being that we now know as Alfred Deakin arrived into the material realm on August 3, 1856 in Fitzroy, which was then a working-class suburb of slums, factories and football. However, Deakin was born into a middle-class family which provided him a number of advantages, most notably access to an enviable education and a rich intellectual home life. Uh, his father, William Deacon, was a real character and definitely had that gift of the gab, a trait which he was supposedly passed down to his son, who was noted of being a really good uh, speechmaker, uh, you know, a really good conversationalist throughout his life. But the elder deacon was known for also his curiosity and his charisma, frequently being described as likeable and affable by his peers and very rigorous of mind. But crucially, while he was nominally Anglican, he was a bit of an apostate and a radical for the time. So there'd be regular discussions around the dinner table and of the various debates and schisms contained within spiritual doctrine of the time. Uh, and often there would be, like, regular guests from, like, Melbourne's religious and intellectual elite at the time, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, reverends and, you know, um, philosophers and, and things like that that were floating around Melbourne in so the...
0: Theocrite, no, the- theosophical, yeah, society? theosophical society? Yeah, theosophical
1: we'll, society we'll touch on a little bit um, later in this series. Um, but this sort of like you know intellectual and spiritual milieu around the house really instilled in uh, William's children, um, Alfred, who we're talking about today, and his sister Catherine, a real sense of freedom from orthodoxy and convention, which would also influence um, Alfred Deacon's later political life. He was known as a bit of like a liberal radical at a time when conservatism and sort of like Tory thinking was still really really strong in Australia. Um, And William really encouraged them to explore their personal freedoms extensively. However, as Catherine would later describe, this freedom was only to be exercised under the guise of her father's, quote, unspoken principles of life, which would guide their decision-making. So it's fair to say that religion was a really key part of Deacon's life, and this home life was augmented with regular church service, Sunday schools, and Bible studies. Now, this gives us our first glimpse that we have into the inner life of Deacon. And Alfred would later remark in a sermon that he gave later in life that he was drawn to the prophetic and esoteric Old Testament over the codification of the New, describing himself as a child as a curious compound, sensitive, sympathetic, variable, emotional, apprehensive, and dreamy. Um, but he was sent away to boarding school at age four. You know, you know how you do with kids and just send them away when they're barely not toddlers. Um, first, he was sent out to Kyneton, which uh, for listeners is near the gold fields in regional Victoria. Uh, and then he was sent from the gold fields to South Yarra where all the gold that was mined by honest, hardworking people helped to prop up Melbourne's elite. However, the crucial part of his education occurred in 1864 when the then eight-year-old deacon was sent to the Melbourne Church of Grammar School. Now, he was noted for being a pretty unremarkable student at this time, and it was noted by his teachers that this would be attributed to his penchant for daydreaming and voracious reading in the considerable school library rather than confining himself to the actual curriculum they were trying to teach. Now, he'd often later reflect upon how out of place he felt amongst his peers at this school, losing himself in books, particularly the fantastical tales of his favourite authors of the time like uh, Jonathan Swift and Bunyan... Um, an experience which later caused him to wonder if he had, quote, lived more and more intensely in and through books.
0: You're rocking the accent.
1: Oh, thank you very much. I'm fantastic. really trying to capture that, like, gramophone voice, you know, like, that <laughs> uh, really, if we could, like, overlay some of that, like, crackly record whenever I'm doing notes. Um now, I don't know about you, but I find this early part of his life, like, really relatable as, like, a former nerd and weird outsider, like, always hanging around the library, you know. Like kind Wait, of I'm sorry, in. were you a
2: witch at boarding school? Because What's that? That's, no.
1: that's what I'm getting. No, not, not, not boarding school, but just, I don't know, like, this, like, really introspective young kid who's just, like, losing himself in like, effectively the fantasy books of his time, you know, yeah. like... Um, I don't know if you read Gulliver's Travels or, or any of those um, uh, or, or Bunyan's books um, like Pilgrim's Progress and all the rest, but they're, they're really hectic and crazy books where, like, fantastical things happen.
0: I mean, every generation's got the subset of the, you know, introverted kids who go to the library and, like, you know, Breakfast Club or yep. what's a more recent one, Freaks and Geeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's right. So this outsider streak manifests further at age nine when he starts even spending his weekends and holidays in the state library. Um, And he had a particular penchant for those grand heroic tales, both fictitious and factual. So like Hercules, Robinson Crusoe, Napoleon, uh, and the Count of Monte Cristo were among his favourites. And this borderline obsession with fantastical tales started occupying his rich inner life which he described saying quote at this time i lived in these creations more than that in which i moved through an often silent absent and contented visionary and through all of this neither friend nor companion nor relative ever heard a single word
0: do we have like actual audio of him speaking no there's someone who's been recorded
1: I think there's some um, that are available. I know that there's only one uh, video of him from um, somewhere around Federation where he was giving a speech. Um, but, yeah, I don't, don't know if the, how much audio we actually have of his um, life.
2: I would just love if he just sounded like a normal dude. Yeah, like from today. That's right.
1: G'day, boys. (laughs) Like, you know, walking in. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, and I'm just absolutely ascribing an old-timey voice onto him, like, uh, retroactively. I love it, though. Yeah, it's good fun. He just sounds like Michael
0: Keaton in real life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) So it's here that Deacon first encountered his lifelong belief in prophecy, predestination, and prophetic signs, a fact that we'll see him cling to throughout his later life. Now, his inner world was rich with introspection and critical interpretation, and it would come in time to be more and more applied to the material world as he looked for signs from the spiritual world to guide his path. However, while these schoolyard years would prove to be formative for his political and spiritual development, like so many of us, it was at university that his real awakening came uh, when he first encountered the spiritualist and theosophical movements that would help shape and guide his occult education. So, friends, what do we know about these weird esoteric beliefs?
0: I can go on for for a while. I find them so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Just these people who believe they they can speak to spirits and angels. and uh, If you say the magic words, something good would happen. Yeah,
1: Yeah. 100%. Now, while I, and it sounds like you as well, Beck, I'm low-key obsessed with Durkin's flirtations with the occult, I do want to stress that some of the beliefs that we're talking about at the time were not as far flung to the fringes of belief as we might consider them today. So while the orthodoxy of the Christian church was obviously central to most Australians at the time, the belief in mediumship, spiritualism and other esoteric branches of Christianity were far more common than they are today, particularly amongst the sort of like upper middle class and and, uh, elites of the time. It was much more common to sort of, you know, like go to tarot readings or, like, hold seances in your home. It was a real, like, parlour sort of game that was a bit of fun. That's a huge loss if you ask me. 100%. Have you uh, ever had a tarot reading? Uh, uh, yeah, with tarot cards. Yeah, I have. I've, I had one a couple of years ago. A friend uh, had bought some and she did it. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and it was, like... I find it interesting in that, like, so much of it is about just your interpretation of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, when you're laying it out, it's that um, there's like a psychological principle of it's, like yeah. already knowing the answer to questions that you're seeking and just being given permission to follow one path or the other. Do you know what someone, I'm talking about?
0: Someone I spoke to said it's not about predicting or having some sort of omnipotent knowledge. It's about um, being presented a prompt and then being prompted to engage with that question. So whether it's death or uh, new life or whatever Mm. tarot cards exist, I don't really know a lot of them, but, like, Mm. they go, okay, it makes you think of this exact thing, Mm. so then you're doing the rest of the psychological work yourself. Yeah,
1: that's right. And I think it's, that like, the same whether you're, like, going to, like, a psychic or a medium or you're going to your, like, local um, parish and talking to your, like, pastor, reverend, imam, whatever you, you, you speak to, or whether you're going to a psychologist. Like, a lot of the time you're... You're the one who's doing the work, do you know what I mean? But sometimes we need that external. So that's how I think about all of these things. Um, Sam, have you had any interactions with that? I know that the youth of today are, like, way more into, like, astrology and stuff like that.
2: Well, I'm wondering if back then
1: it was as gimmicky as it is
2: today. Because when I was about 17, I did get a tarot reading. Mm -hmm. And she kind of just told me that I was going to die within the year. (laughs) Love and that. so I just I just spent a year just freaking out. Did you get yeah. your money
0: back? Because it's like <laughs> clearly. <Yeah. laughs>
2: I mean, it was free, so okay. that was definitely part of it. And looking back, her, My dad and my brother day. probably paid her something to get a living <laughs> crap out of me. But uh, love that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Somewhere tarot cards um, predate playing cards.
1: Really? Yeah. That might- might be right. I think yeah. they are pretty pretty old because they were like big in like the Romany tradition. Mm. I'm pretty sure. So they might even do. Anyway, I'm sure
2: it's not all tarot readers, but personally, I've got a vendetta. Yeah. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so. In this context, I'll start with spiritualism, as this was by far and away the dominant belief that Deacon held throughout the rest of his life. But he really was a cosmic traveller through the occult, a kind of mystical Magellan, and he certainly didn't limit his explorations to traditional faith-based inquiries. So spiritualism as a movement started in 1848 in the working-class neighbourhoods of upper New York State, where a group of young girls claimed to commune with spirits and that they could guide and advise those who sought enlightenment. But I I want to be really clear about the fact that this is when, you know, white Anglo-Saxon colonists discovered spiritualism and that we should emphasize that, like, many cultures have rich spiritual beliefs and practices that are important to the culture, uh, from the first peoples of our own country through the so-called Americas, numerous Asian cultures to even the Vikings and Romany that I mentioned earlier of pre-industrial Europe. So when we say spiritualism in this context, I'm referring to the 19th century organized religious movement rather than the culturally diverse spiritual beliefs that predate them significantly. And I want to stress that this movement is much closer to the sham readings done by modern charlatans like John Edwards than it does with the ancestor worship and honoring of spirits that diverse communities practice and is integral to their culture. So this is spiritualism with a capital S. And it was and remains known for the practice of mediumship, whereby supposed psychics offered spiritual guidance to the uninitiated, which could take the form of seances, clairvoyancy or channeling into spiritual possessions. Now, spiritualism was retroactively linked to the works of two key figures, uh, Emanuel Swedenborg and Franz Mesmer, both of which Deacon would devour in his spiritual education. So Swedenborg was a prolific Swedish scientist, philosopher, theologian and mystic of the 18th century... ...who amongst a plethora of discoveries was the first to propose neurons, like nerve cells. Um, But he was also deeply interested in the relationship between the material world and its spiritual counterpart... ...and how spirits were tethered to the flesh. Now we don't have time to go into his fascinating life story... ...but crucially for spiritualism he was a renowned psychic... ...who supposedly predicted the 1759 fire of Stockholm... And did a reading for the Swedish Queen Louisa where he told her details that only she and her brother knew. And my personal favourite, he wrote a series of amazing Gnostic texts which argue that the creation myth of Christianity was in fact a story of like rebirth or transitioning of Adam and Eve from the material world, world to their pure spiritual form. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other like really key figure in spiritualism was a guy called Franz Mesmer um, who is where we get the word mesmerised from. Um, wow. So, yeah, it was used interchangeably with his theories of an energy force that connects all living things and could be manipulated to produce material outcomes, including hypnosis, which we now think of as mesmerism, and a kind of faith healing as well. So basically he's like an esoteric Jedi. like He's like <laughs> really proposing that everything was linked by this like invisible, unseeable force. Got it. And George Lucas is a fraud. 100% <laughs> copyright infringement. Um, but...
0: Yeah, don't go down that rabbit
1: hole. That's right. Yeah, don't pull the threads on that sweater. Um, But these beliefs and practices were first encountered by the young Deacon when he was in his late teens, when he witnessed many performances of mesmerism, planchette writing and mediumship. But by these teenage years, Deacon began to dabble in it himself like when at a party for friends and family he performed a mesmerism that was at first supposed to be a bit of a lark, like he was doing it as, you know, a bit to show off, a bit to, you know, make everybody laugh. But the vibe in the room rapidly changed in tone when the young woman he was mesmerising seemed to come totally under his control. This experience was augmented soon after when he was on a family holiday in Dramana, uh, where the miserable weather sent Alfred in search of the hotel kitchen to find a warm, damp, warm spot to dry his damp boots, that therein he encountered a young man delighting the maid servants and a stable boy with feats of mesmerism.
2: What's the appropriate reaction when you discover that your friend can literally put women under his spell? Yeah, I like, mean what do you um, say to that?
1: Uh, call the police, I think. Yeah. Just immediately, there's no way this has gone yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I feel like there's, like, part of this which is, like, the uh, like the pickup artists at the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, that really cooked sort of in stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in, encountering this, like, act of mesmerism while he's on holiday, uh, ever the questioning and sceptical mind, young Alfred devised a test to try and expose the young man as a charlatan. So he held his pocket watch to the back of the young man's head and asked him to tell the time. Now, the young man told a wildly inaccurate time which incurred the ire of Deacon until he realised he'd been holding his pocket watch upside down and that from that angle the time quoted would have been correct. Mm. So these experiences shook Deacon to his foundations and sent him deeper and deeper into the mystical path that led him through the occult. He began to visit two famous medical clairvoyants of the time, Messrs. William H. Terry and George Stowe, So Terry was a draper by trade who held the 40-year-long secretaryship of the Victorian Association of Spiritualists, or VAS, and he practised occult healing in his off hours as a, quote, chemist and medical botanist. So Deacon observed Terry interview those afflicted with maladies and would consult the spirits as to their causes before prescribing herbal cures which he made and then sold to those patients. Which is my favourite. It's like very like um, Alex Jonesy. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like
0: 100% flim
1: flammery. 100%. So I love that.
2: It's
0: like actual snake oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: literally. I'm waiting for him to start talking about frogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Stowe, on the other hand, would perform his diagnosis and prescription while entering into a deep trance state, giving himself over to a spirit known simply as Martin, which tells me that he's not very showy. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to be taken by this mystical force of... Martin.
0: <laughs> so sad. Yeah. You couldn't come up with anything else.
2: That's to fine. be fair, if there are ghosts, oh. if you were going to do a clairvoyancy, most of the ghosts that would possess you would just be like just a guy. Just ra-
1: random people hanging out, right? Just Phil. That's right. Um, but like crucially, in Deacon's own words, like much years, many, li- many years later in his own like diaries, um, these medical feats were, quote, remarkable for their general success and that he, quote, never heard of a single mistake in their prescriptions. What's yeah.
0: a general success? What does that even just mean? Just general
1: success, you know. Just generally? Yeah, just generally it was successful.
0: But I never heard anyone complain about it ever.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. right. Never making a mistake, so it's perfect. So, but it's not perfect success, it's general success. That's right.
0: This was before Yelp. So, like, people couldn't just Mm, go online
1: and 60% of the time it works every time. (laughs) So it was shortly after these experiences when Deacon started his first circle, which was the terminology used by spiritualists at the time to denote a group that meant for the purposes of contacting the spiritual realm. This circle included his sister Catherine and an equal number of male and female friends in order to maintain the balance in animal magnetism as advocated by Franz Mesmer. So they performed numerous spiritual rituals which called spirits to commune with them through a designated medium. Uh, uh, Le- Letty was her name. She was the sister of one of his uh, like schoolyard friends who um, he sort of did all of his weird stuff with. Um, and sometimes there would be writing, of a, writing autonomously through the medium's hand, or they describe at length like how the table would often move around, which again is like really, really common to the sort of spiritual practices at the time
0: which was
1: just like some guy kicking the table. Yeah, I mean, Deacon maintained, like, again, throughout his life, that, like, it was totally on its own, right? Like, that this just definitely uh, happened. But, and this is my favourite bit, after six months of regular gatherings, the circle disbanded because of the simple fact that, as Deacon would later lament, that the spirits, quote, had nothing to say and it said it very badly. (laughs) Absolutely amazing.
2: Again, totally fair. Just some guy named Phil being like, yeah, I got crushed
1: under my car. I don't know what to say. That's right. Um... But this wasn't the only reason that the circle was abandoned, as Deakin had been called up to the big leagues and was invited to join a premier circle run by one Dr Motherwell, a senior f- physician and academic at the Melbourne University. And this was attended by, like, spiritualist royalty. Aside from the aforementioned um, Messrs. Terry and Stowe, who did those medical healing, um, spiritual healings, but also the president of the VAS, Dr W. L. Richardson, Um, Motherwell's circle proved much more nourishing for Deacon's mystical appetites as it included detailed interactions with numerous spirits many of them famous figures from history repeated instances of clairvoyancy and mediumship and the kinds of spiritual interactions which Deacon would describe as cementing him in quote a faith in the message and that he would die without renouncing it and I think this is really telling when we like compare the two. Like when it's him with all of his like schoolyard friends, like it's kind of chaotic. Like there's not a lot of like in- interesting stuff that comes up. But then when he's hanging out with these like practiced flimflam sake oil salesmen, like it's like famous figures like Napoleon speaking to them.
0: I was gonna say, like, who who was he speaking to?
1: Yeah, yeah, like, they, yeah, they, I, um, I, I'd have to check the notes, but like, yeah, he mentions like a couple of like world leaders and like spiritual leaders from history that have like come and spoken to them at this.
0: It's come to speak to this random person who just so happened to ask you, like, hundred
1: I mean, percent. Yeah, I'll,
0: I'll I'll drop a line.
1: <laughs> That's right. Like, I feel like if you're gonna do the flim-flamming of like uh, spiritual mediumship. The John Edwards stuff makes more sense where you're like, oh, this is a personal connection to you, like it's your dead mother or a long-lost yeah. uncle or, like, whatever it is. Whereas, like, why would Napoleon come and talk to a random group of weirdos? Like, exactly. <laughs> hasn't he got better things to do in the afterlife? I'm
0: sure, he was very, um, like, standoffish and, and, and prudent and stuff when he was alive. So like, he's not going to talk to commoners when he's living. Why is he going to talk to you when...
2: He's dead. 100%. Also, if you can talk to anybody you want, right, I don't understand why they, and this is one hundred supposed to be 100% accurate, why don't you just go back to, like, times that you know nothing about? Yeah. Like, let's talk to Jesus straight yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. Let's talk to Tutankhamun. Yeah, it's always, good. like,
1: <laughs> figures who we know enough about where you could pass yeah. off. Right? Where, you could,
2: where they've written, like, personal letters so you get a sense of personality and things like that. That's right.
1: So at university, Deacon was completing parallel education. So by day, he was studying law um, and the legal system of the fledgling British colony. And by night, it was all about the mystical arts of the spiritual realm.
2: Can you imagine handing in the wrong essay to the (laughs) wrong class?
0: I'm just wondering if he had, like, robes.
2: I've been imagining robes. Yeah, 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 he's he's definitely got robes for both. I've been imagining epic robes for these seances. Yep. Like, full Dumbledore in the first <laughs> Harry Potter.
0: The nighttime ones are, like, purple velvet. Yeah. And the daytime ones are just the regular black university robes.
1: That's it. So his legal studies were reportedly of very little interest to him, despite his ability to maintain decent grades. He had a famous classmate uh, like H. B. Higgins, uh, who was the future ar- arbitration court judge who would later deliver the landmark harvester judgment, which set up much of our colonial industrial standards. Uh, and he remarked on this discrepancy saying that Deacon's mind and a lawyer's mind travelled in different directions, <laughs> which is just a hilarious quote to have about the first Attorney General of Australia. Look. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it was here in these dual studies where he would refine and reconcile his diverse esoteric beliefs. Um, now I, I, we didn't have much time to delve into it, but he also went down, like, Eastern philosophy. He studied a lot of, like, the... Um, The Veda and like yoga, and that's what led him to vegetarianism and Confucianism. He really did like try and devour everything, but it was really that spiritualist um, thread that really stuck with him. And he tried to summarize this later as saying that uh, his spiritualism was one that, quote, implies spirit a denial of materialism, a denial that death is the end of life, and more than that, a hope of communion with those that have gone before, a brighter reading of the present, the future, more hope, more faith, and more evidence of God and God's goodness. And this is what is really key to me in this story, that while Deacon would would later move away from the occult practices of his youth, he maintained throughout his life a belief in the experiences that he had. Now, we're going to dig into why these experiences stuck with him and how they influenced his political life and arguably the history of our country next week in part two of Deacon and the Occult. Ooh. (laughs) Cliffhanger. Absolutely. So, yeah, how are we feeling about our second prime minister so far?
2: I mean, I know that... Like, Fitzroy back then was a very working-class area. But I've got to say, there's a common thread. Geez, to Fitzroy today. Oh, but yeah. Just meeting but anybody like, from the, Yeah. Stuff? yeah like, I live a couple of streets over from Fitzroy, and I've mm-hmm. got to say, it is dead on. Yeah. <laughs> These things
0: that. just kind of, like, always have a resurgence in some way or form. Like, whether it's tarot or... Um, even more, like the spiritual healing thing is really big in a lot of the circles that I'm in. And on one hand, it's like there's no evidence that this works. But obviously, there's the psychological thing that it does work for people because mm-hmm. they want it to work. And it's a, it's a, I don't want to, it's not a trick. It's, it's like doing mindfulness and stuff. Like it, it does help. So yeah, it's amazing that it just. It, it just keeps coming back, but just, like, slightly different
1: forms. Yeah, the other yeah. thing that I find, like, really interesting when I've been thinking about this stuff is how reflective it is of now and then of the problems that they're having when these, like, kind of, like, alternative belief systems start cropping up. Like, considering that we're now entering this, like, post-truth, you know, sort of period where we have all of these really crazy... But, like, the non conspiracy in America, you know, like, there was... I remember there was a, um, uh, I think a, a candidate for the Labour Party in the NT elect, the last NT elections, or it might have been the one before. There was a guy who believed in like all of David Icke's like lizard yeah, people yeah. stuff. Um, Flat Earth. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Flat Earth is having a resurgence. All of these, even though like now we've got way more science and way more understanding of the universe as it, or as much of it as we know, but as it actually is. Um, and I think that, yeah, there's that, that really clear link between the, like, late 19th century, early 20th century, where we have this discrepancy in wealth, you know, in, in um, Victoria at the time, you know, there's the opulence that came with the gold rush. But then there are all the slums around, like, you know, Richmond, Fitzroy, uh, Collingwood, they're all, like, really, really tough lives that people are living. Um, and, yeah, that, like, rich people are kind of also, like, just dalliancing in all of this stuff. They think that's, like, really fun and, like, naughty to be holding seances and stuff at the time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I think there is a really, yeah, interesting link between now and then through that.
2: Mm. And this stuff was incredibly popular in British aristocracy around the 17th and 18th centuries. Yeah, in
1: in America as well, like, in all the new money over there, you know. um, Yeah, really, really common. Um, I did just want to um, shout out as well, like sort of uh, acknowledge my sources. So um, the enigmatic Mr. Deacon by Judith Brett is kind of like one of the like now classic um, biographies. But it's weird, even in like, like the Australian um, Dictionary of Biography and, you know, in the Wikipedia page and in, um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the other um, biography that was sort of written at the top, not too long after he was Prime Minister. Um, All of them kind of like mention this stuff, but they skip past it really quickly to get to his political life. And I just really want to shout out, there was an amazing book by um, an academic at La Trobe called Al Gaby or Gay Bay, possibly G-A-B-A-Y. Uh, it's called The Mystic Life of Alfred Deacon, where he used his um, PhD thesis to like really dig into this. Um, really fantastic book. And I want to give a huge shout out to Emily and Gillian at the Royal Historical Society of Victoria, who helped me like track down a copy of the book so that I could um, uh, read it and, and, and write this episode. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah, really, really fantastic. Um, so, yeah, everyone, make sure you support the Royal Historical Society of Victoria. They're a really, really fantastic organisation, really, really great uh, people that volunteer their time to, to help out and, and do uh, keep our history alive. Um, yeah, but that, that ends it for our first episode of uh, Deacon and the Occult.
0: Amazing.
1: So, uh, yeah, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do find Per Capita on your favourite social media Um, You can find us at Per Capita on most of them. Um, Are there any differentiations, Beck, on Instagram or anything like that?
0: Uh, I think one of them might be Per Capita Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh, Other than that, though, keep an eye out for our other show, Recap, where we'll be breaking down all of our latest research and submissions, which is coming out soon as well.
1: That's right. And if you're um, interested in hearing more of this content, uh, both the crazy stuff that we'll be talking about in Cooked and the other stuff that we do in some of our other podcasts, do go to percapita.org.au. Donate so that we can keep making this content and that we can upgrade out our tech so that it sounds better and better every week. Um, But other than that, we'll look forward to telling you a little bit more about the crazy occult life of our second Prime Minister, Alfred Deakin, soon. See ya. See ya. Bye.
0: This show is a production of Per Capita, the independent progressive think tank dedicated to fighting inequality in Australia. We'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was written and recorded on the lands of the Warundigi Warung people of the Kulin Nation, whose lands were never ceded, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Thank you.